Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker. It is great to be with you. I'm actually recording this intro on my phone. My wife is recording me recording this intro. Hi, Sarah. Yeah. Um, Because um, I forget to do these intros sometimes, and today's one of those. So here I am on my phone. Good to be with you. On this episode of the podcast, I have Dan Miner. Dan is a pastor, but a good pastor. He actually went semi-viral for condemning John MacArthur and Hillsong for being terrible churches. And that, in my opinion, is great news. So I reached out to him and said, hey, um, why don't you come on? Let's talk about your background and let's talk about what makes you tick and why you made this video. So we did. And Dan is awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode because I really loved it. And also, friends, big news, tickets are officially live for Homebrew Theology's God Pod edition of Beer Camp. I'm going to be there. Noah and I are going to be there hanging out with all the people, including the Bible for Normal People. Um, Let's see. You have Permission Podcast, which is run by Dan Koch. Of course, Trip Fuller will be there. Brian McLaren will be there. And so many others. You can go to the link in our show notes. Type in the purchase, the little promo code checkout area, TNE, to get $50 off your ticket. It's October 13th through 15th in North Carolina. I would love to meet so many of you. I really would. It'd be amazing. And you're going to see amazing people, people that are are carving new paths forward in the Christian tradition, people who I look up to, people who all of us listen to. So I recommend getting your tickets and making that happen. Of course, this episode is brought to you by Mad Priest Coffee. I talk about them all the time because they make damn good coffee and they have a great cause behind it. Also, like I always say, I love their branding. And I I think they're worth supporting. So they're a friend of the show. They're a sponsor of this episode. Go to the link in the show notes. Type in TNE20 in the checkout to get 20% off your order. Last thing I will say is that we really appreciate all the love and support that you all continue to show us. If you want to support the work that we do, you can click on the link in our show notes. Or you can share this podcast and give us a rating. Financial donations really help, but so do shares. So if you want to do that, you can do all those things in our show notes. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Dan Miner. Hope you enjoy it. All right, um, I got the man, the myth, the legend, Pastor Dan Miner on the podcast. Uh, thanks for making time. I appreciate it. I am so glad to be here with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered you because um, uh, probably realistically about a dozen people sent me your video. I think it was on TikTok um, kind of talking about, I think you were preaching. It looked like that way on a yeah. Sunday. And you were talking about Hillsong. I think at some point, John MacArthur and just like how problematic all that is. And a lot of people in my circles were like, look, look, an evangelical pastor, at least we think at the time, you know, is talking about this. We need more of these pastors. And I'm like, yeah. damn right we do, which is why I'm going to get him on the podcast. So thanks for making the time. It's, it really is awesome. That's awesome. Glad to be here. Really am. 
So let's start with this. I mean, I don't know almost anything about you besides the video I was sent. So you're a pastor, but who are you? I mean, are you in the evangelical space? How did you grow up? Give me the backstory of, of Dan Miner. I have to know. So, so the dream was to become a lawyer as a kid. Okay. Parents, parents were pastors, um, founders of the church, said I had five kids in my family because, you know, <laughs> Pentecostal charismatic. We got to populate the earth, people, all right? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, did that whole thing, and um, and then one day felt like you know I'm supposed to help my parents. Didn't know why because it was never on my radar as a kid or even a teenager. And worked in the corporate world, and one day quit everything and went to work, uh, just helping them basically do a, uh, a local regional television show and and youth and kind of that kind of stuff. If you watch the Righteous Gemstones, I was Kelvin. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I didn't dress like him, but uh, there you go. And um, that is really funny. By the way, if anyone hasn't watched that, I mean this is not a promo, but that is like my brother John. We had him watch it because growing up kids, you know, we we've been through it and seen it all. And my brother John called me on the phone. He goes, "I don't know whether to um, what do you say? I don't know whether to um, laugh, cry, or put a bullet in my head." (laughs) Well, the 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 show. I mean, listen, friends out there, if you haven't watched it, be prepared. It is very adult. But, I mean, man, it is on the nose for, like, just that typical Pentecostal megachurch world. Uh, So, yeah, it's – anyway. Somebody had to be in the world. Clearly. There's so many little jokes in there that you wouldn't get. Yes. You might get it, but you wouldn't know it to even write it if you hadn't actually observed it. One of my favorite episodes, this is not a spoiler for anyone, it's, it's just no. a, a funny thing, it was when they completely spoofed the power team. That one for me, I'm like, someone was the deep in evangelical culture. The, the God, God Squad. squad. <laughs> and what's funny is, is like, like, my kids don't even know who the power team is, you know? So, like, right. I'm laughing hilarious. Of course, my kids didn't watch it with me, but <laughs> right, even, right. even 20-somethings are like, dude, they're ripping the power team. They're like, who? And then you pull up videos of the power team ripping phone books and stuff. Yes. And, and the twenty somethings out there are like, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah. This <laughs> yeah. <is not." laughs> I saw them live at a, at a big church in my area. I mean, I, yes. I I was dying. All right, so that so you grew up Heaven's Gate, Hell's Flame. Oh <laughs> yes. Squeezed in there. Stop. <laughs> we can get into that later. We can. But but you grew up charismatic Pentecostal. Then is that kind of the yeah? The vibe? Well, actually, more Pentecostal, and then kind of moved into charismatic. You know, less kind of Pentecostal charismatic. So. How do you separate I, them? Let me ask you that. Like Pentecostal, because in my head they're kind of conflated. Well, the traditional Pentecostal church is more about speaking in tongues and prophecy, uh, if you will. Okay. And the charismatic um, leans more heavily on miracles, healing, signs and wonders. I didn't really, a lot of the Pentecostal people we flowed with weren't as into the signs and wonders. They were more concentrated on speaking tongues and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That was like their main thing. Okay. Whereas in charismatic circles, you know, like, like you go to like the Bethel stuff or those guys that are more kind of leaning charismatic or that whole revival Alliance years ago, or the, even the Todd Bentley stuff that was all focused on the miracles, the signs and wonders, you know, the, the stuff that, that ha- was a little bit more, uh, made more sense to people in the idea that if somebody says they got healed, it made more sense okay. than, Somebody's speaking something that sounds like gibberish, and right. somebody's getting interpretation for it. So, Got it. and the charismatics seem to be, in my experience, more outwardly focused uh, when it came to like missions and those types of things. 
um, than the Pentecostals were. The Pentecostals seem to be us four and no more, you know, yeah, a little bit more yeah. exclusive, okay, um, if you will. But I don't think there's a huge difference, but there was in, in the sense that those that identified Pentecostal were definitely a different group than those that identified charismatic. And you, you, you couldn't hug both sides. Right. Right. <laughs> At least okay. in their minds. <laughs> you know? So that's how I grew up. Um, my great uncle was a pastor. I have an uncle, two uncles that are pa- three uncles that are pastors, a cousin who's a pastor. My dad was a pastor. I came from a pastor's family, very traditionally rooted. Uh, so yeah, that's my background. Okay. And now you're still a pastor. So the lawyer thing yeah. never really happened. Uh, no, it didn't. It took my LSATs, started working um, for the church, did really well in the LSATs, and um, I got to drop that in there so people don't think I'm a total loser. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then went to um, went through um, and started working in the church, and then realized, hey, this is this is an interesting space, um, and really found myself rooted in, uh, you know, I I always knew I was a little bit of a troublemaker or as we like to call them, reformers in the church. <laughs> and uh, I always had that kind of reformation thing flowing through my veins. Hmm. And as I became lead pastor, um, and then my dad, of course, retired over time, um, st- they're still around and involved, um, went through a couple of pretty interesting experiences um, that just led me to um, one of my favorite guys is Stan Mitchell. I don't know if you've listened to any of his stuff, but he always talks about how when our experiences don't line up with our understanding of the word of God, our experiences should drive us back to the word of God to say, what did I miss? Mm. And I had enough experiences like five kids all growing up in the church, two of them gay and married siblings of mine, mm. um, you know, Pulse nightclub shooting. Yeah. One of the ki- one of the guys that was killed there who was gay, Eddie Sotomayor, I went to high school with. You know, I was asked to do the funeral where uh, every other pastor in town was like, no way. I'm not going to preside over this very public, you know, CNN, MSNBC, uh, over 2000 people in a Robarts arena here in Sarasota for that funeral. It was one of the first public funerals after that shooting. And I was like, absolutely, I'll do it, you know. Mm. And uh, we became full inclusive of the LGBTQ community as a traditional church, the only one in the area like that. Uh, because of these things of being forced to confront and go back to what I thought I knew about God and went, wait a second, I have to be missing something because that face-to-face personal experience isn't lining up with what I thought I knew. And so instead of rejecting the person in front of me, it drove me back to the text to go, what am I missing? Can I make sure I understand what you're saying correctly? You're Mm -hmm. saying that, that you pastor in some way, shape, or form, some kind of evangelical church that is fully inclusive? Is that what you're saying? Yes. And I'm affirming. Not, I'm not kidding you. I literally have chills because, and I'm almost on the verge of tears, just just, just a real moment, because so many people that I talk to um, in our on our account, we, we've gotten, last year we got about 10,000 DMs probably total, maybe more, and I can't tell you how many people are begging me. Do you know any churches that are, you know, maybe a little more evangelical, but are queer inclusive. And I always have to say, no, I don't. And Mm -hmm. hearing just having you say that as someone who is still maybe in some of these spaces and certain other theological perspectives to say, hey, you know, um, I had to go back to the text and say, what am I missing? And that shifted how I viewed this community. Um, Honestly, is like, 
Oh, thank God we found one. I mean, honestly, I'm just being transparent yeah. with you really in the moment just, just being real. Um, I know listeners out there are probably feeling a huge sigh of relief because I was not um, always affirming. It was a journey for me, uh, for sure. Um, but the more, like you said, the more I, I met people and had friends and just thought about it and had roommates, the more mm -hmm. I had to say the same thing. Like, what am I missing? Um, and now I can't imagine ever going back. So I just want to say thank you. I mean, that, that's really powerful, I think, for our community that's listening to this. Well, I appreciate the thank you, but I always say, you know, when someone does applaud, and I really mean this, this isn't cliche, and say, you know, thank you so much for what you're doing, I always look at it and go, this is like the bare minimum we should yeah. have done from the beginning. So yeah. I feel like the fact that I'm being thanked for doing something as decently human and nor should be normal of including somebody. Yeah. Um, and that the fact that we're thanking them is such a blemish for me on the record of the church. Yeah. Whenever yeah. Um, people will, you know, sometimes we get this, I get the same thing. Hey, thanks for the work you're doing. And what I say is like the white evangelical male bar is set so low. This is, is like the price of admission, like, like calling out what, we, what we're obviously seeing in these circles, you know, the white supremacy, the homophobia and having a white guy say this is wrong and people being like, wow, you're so bold. It's like, uh, I, I again, you appreciate it, right? But it's like, but this is this should be the price of admission. This is mm -hmm. like the least I can do. So anyway, I appreciate that. So so your you your church becomes inclusive, fully affirming. I have to imagine that there's blowback. I have to imagine. Oh that. man. Well, I don't want to become I don't want to become a martyr. So I'll, I'll I'll tell you some of that, but I don't want to get into the whole thing just because they have experienced they being the LGBTQ plus you know community have experienced so much hatred for so many years that the blowback that I've gotten, the, the, um, the, the hatred I've gotten, you know, really pales in comparison. Absolutely. I, I, will, I will say that it almost sunk us wow. as a church financially. Wow. Mm. Um, between that and just the political divide and, you know, the Trump era and all of that um, almost sunk us. Um, and then you add COVID on top of it. And all that almost sunk us. We are, have, and I mean this, miraculously made it through. Hmm. There was enough people that believed in it. Um, and and, and are, doing, are doing fine. We're not where I want to be, but we're doing fine. We have a great congregation. And we're actually in the middle of, it, as, as insane as it sounds, we're in the middle of, uh, or three quarters of the way through, building a new facility on our property. Wow. Um, a new worship space, which we've been wanting to do for about seven years and um, and it's amazing how it's happened, and um, there's a lot of community support. But I I am I'm I'm lucky that we have survived. Um, but it's been horrible, Tim. I mean, I can't I I can't I had 12 pastors sit me down from my community who I respect, most of them older than me, and I'm 41 now. At the time, mm. I think it was like 36 or 37. 12 of them sit me down and say, you you're making a terrible. I hired an openly LGBTQ, um, it was a gay man, um, to be my, um, uh, my administrator, my, my person that was running everything in the front office. And they basically told me, the, the family that ran the prayer house in town that went to my church um, sat, sat down with me for two hours and, and, and railed on me. And after I was done kind of presenting my case, they said, well, I have a lot to think about. And of course, three weeks later, called me and said, we're still not coming back. But I had a group of pastors get together um, and say, basically, 
we don't like you. You have no right to be in our town saying these things. Our people are coming to us saying this, that, and the other. We're having to defend stuff, which is what it's all about. And, right. and you're basically mocking the gospel. And, you know, and then they start saying, where'd you go to, where'd you go to Bible school and what are your credentials and who do you think you are? It's all discredit, 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 because they don't want to actually have a conversation. <laughs> they just want to reinforce what they've always felt like they believed. But yet secretly, I'd have a couple of them come to me and say, I wish I could say what you're saying. Mm. I, I, I had one guy who sneakily came into that one um, funeral for Eddie there. And a pastor I've known for years who came up to me in tears and said, I wish I was at a church like yours where I could say what you said, you said today. Because I said in front of them in the cameras, I said, um, if Jesus were alive today, he wouldn't have treated you the way the church has treated you. Mm. And I'm sorry mm. um, for, for what you've endured uh, as a result of what the church has said and done. And of course, it was a very solemn moment for me. So I'm weeping, crying, because you totally. can feel the pain in the room. Yeah. And, um, and this pastor said, I, I wish I could say, I said, do it. And he said, I couldn't. I, I'd, I'd be fired. I have four kids. Yeah. I have a you know, wife to support. I couldn't. Yeah. And that's what yeah. it comes down to. These, these men and women, some of them aren't as evil as, <laughs> as some of these other people we like to talk about. And I don't mean evil, but continually and habitually make these kind of decisions. Yeah. Some of them are just trying to survive and right. they don't. And people like me who actually say, Hey, you can do it and your church will survive and your life will go on and you'll be okay, which is what I'm trying to ultimately prove. Um, you know, everybody who's kind of anti that message is trying to ensure that we don't. Hmm. Um, my, my uncle called me yesterday. Uh, my uncle, who's a retired pastor who left pastoring years ago because of the hate um, up in Pennsylvania, and he had got a divorce, which, you know, forget about it, Right. and um, got remarried, and that was basically the end. He called me on the phone. He said, my wife was in, sitting in the chair um, uh, getting her hair cut yesterday, and the girl cutting her hair, they started talking about God, and she said, where do you go to church? And she said, oh, my, my husband's nephew um, has a church here in town, and we go to church there, and, and she said, what is it? And he goes, it's, it's harvest. And she goes, I, she goes, isn't that Pastor Gay? Like that, the rumor around town wow. is either I'm a womanizer wow. and I've got like 15 girlfriends or I'm gay. Wow. So what, they, what the pastors have to do out there, to dis, the religious leaders have to do to discredit what I'm saying is to say, well, the only reason he's saying that is because he is gay and therefore he's trying to, you know, like open up space for himself to basically continue to have a job. Wow. And it's just like, first of all, if I was, I would be proud to say it because I love that community. Right. I have two siblings who are gay, who I love and love their spouses. And it makes no sense that I would hide something like that. But that's their goal. Their goal is to discredit and to destroy. And I've never seen a meaner entity in the world than the, you know, the real hardcore religious Christian church. What was it like for you um, being a pastor? Oops, uh, my mic dropped there. What was it like being a pastor um, before Trump and then after Trump? Did you see a big shift in people in your congregation, in, in, in the cultural climate that you exist in? Talk to me about that. Well, churches in my area have now become basically either MAGA churches or mm. or 
liberal lefties, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it was amazing how everything became so divided so quickly. Hmm. I've always been, I mean, we're being transparent today, right? So of course. I've, I've always been a registered Republican, hmm. but then felt like over time the Republican Party has left me. Hmm. I didn't leave it, it left me. Right. And of course was accelerated in the last how many years? Right. Now, I think recently I heard you say you're not a, like a huge, massive fan of Biden. I'm not either. <laughs> I'm not. I you will know? never have a Biden flag in the back of my truck that right. I don't own. It's yeah. never going to happen. So, <laughs> I'm not either. I'm not out here saying he's doing a tremendous job and all these problems that we're facing right now are none of them are his fault or all of them are his fault or anything like right. that. Right. What I'm saying is I have, a t- I have such a tough time mixing our faith, which I do believe is precious and holy, Hmm. With, with politics, and especially when politics seems to be controlled by one man's whims, that is not that is not healthy. Even if the person is the most moral, kind human being we've ever met, <laughs> that's right. not that's not healthy to be attached to that. But people, I have many great what I felt to be very great and faithful, loyal um, families and couples and people that flat out left the church because they could tell that I wasn't ready to storm the Capitol. Mm. And uh, were, you, were you connected with people, um, you know, kind of before Trump that, that then became a little more, maybe, maybe the term in this context is radicalized, that, that eventually relationships just got, they just got so strained. That happened to me. I mean, I, I had someone that I was extremely close to who was actually um, um, a drummer on a very well-known worship team that is uh, they're well-known internationally they tour and everything and um we were very close over the pandemic talking quite literally every day on voice message uh he was one of the first people i sent a picture of my newborn to all of this we were extremely close and when the 2020 election happened um you know he went down the rabbit hole of you know it's stolen how could you be saying it's not and our relationship completely dissolved i mean it completely dissolved yeah so i've experienced that but i'm wondering if you have as well i i have i mean i could drop some names that like i um one of one of them i i still have a relationship with so i won't drop her name just because she um i still have a relationship with her and she's still open to dialogue but um she in particular is one of the um stars female stars of worship music and has been for almost 20 years i mean she is it well, and if it's Kim Walker Smith, tell her to give me a call because I have questions for that one. Because I've been following Kim Walker for a while, and I watched her descent from you know where she was to doing work with Sean Foy. I mean, honestly, I don't know if that's the person, but that's a person that I think of right away who's a female worship star. And I saw her um, in January with Sean Foy doing some Florida thing, and I'm like, Kim. She also did. I'm sorry, I'm ranting really quick, but she also did the music for um, a pro-Trump, uh, pro-woman documentary. That I was like, what is happening to Kim Walker Smith? So side ran for me, but I tried to drop that. So I won't say you're right, but <laughs> uh, I'm a prophet. <laughs> here's the thing. I will never say a single bad word about her because in my time that I've spent with her, she's been, you know, her husband, my home, all of that. She has been nothing but the most kind, generous human being ever. And I have not had a, conversation in the political sorts with her since all of this stuff is going on. But from what I've seen and what 
what she seems to be endorsing and embracing, it definitely doesn't line up with a lot of what I've experienced with her. So that for me would have to be a conversation. Now with Sean in particular, um, somebody that I know very well too, um, it was weird. Sean Foyt, because, you're saying? Sean yes. Foyt? Okay. It was weird because for about a 10-year period, um, I went through a divorce for the last three and a half years too, which added to, I was like, you know what I should do? Let's embrace the gay community. Let's do, go through COVID and let me get divorced and still try to have a church by the end of it. But Perfect. somehow I, I, it's worked. But yeah, so, um, but in going through that and the political stuff, I went from being, I was, I was helping um, Danny and Sherry Silk with all of their, um, shooting all their uh, video content with their son for years, um, helping, uh, I was out, of, out in Reading all the time. I actually was the senior editor and um, cinematographer for Heidi Baker's Wow. Um, life film, Compelled by Love. So if you go look at the credits of that, you'll see senior editor, cinematographer was me. Um, so I spent three months in Mozambique, or uh, about three months in total in Mozambique, running in a crew, shooting that movie. Wow. Um, so I have been in, hosted all of them in my home, been with all of them. I don't lump them all together at all. Sure. Um, Sean, in Sean's case, I shot a lot of his Light a Candle stuff back in the days when he was going to Iraq. And shot some of his stuff. And Sean, man, I love Sean and his family. And but I, he he ran for office um, in that primary, mm-hmm. and then didn't work out. And during that time, his his uh, relationship with Bethel Music changed. You know, right. ended. I don't necessarily can't speak on the terms of that because I don't know exactly. Because um, you know, you there's two sides to the story. Um, but I think he was kind of at that point, this is all conjecture, but I think at that point was kind of left with, okay, what am I going to do to continue to, to, to have a platform and be relevant? And he started the worship stuff. And the one that happened in Reading was very controversial during the mask mandate stuff. And yep. from there, it was a matter of, it looked like to me of doubling down. Yeah. Of going, oh, you think that was something? Watch this. And so first it started with, we're going to defy the mask mandates and all the video of the stuff you could see hardly anyone was wearing masks at the end of height of COVID. And then that kind of just snowballed into what has become him very involved in politics and marching on Washington. And, you know, the George Floyd thing was, was in my opinion, horrible taste um, to be doing a worship event right there when people were mourning. There's a lot of decisions he's making that I think reflect very poorly on what we're trying to do and does reinforce some of the stereotypes of, you know, the entitled white evangelical, you know, or whatever you want to call it, um, male (laughs) um, figure that has unfortunately gotten a bad name. And they, they want to say that anyone who criticizes them is woke. um, But I would look them in the eyes and say, but what if, what if what you're doing is hurting the gospel that you claim to love versus helping when it comes to humanity. And, and are you willing to take that risk? Cause I think it is. Um, 
two quick things about that. Uh, first off, just in regards to Kim on a personal level, I've I've followed her music. I love her music, and I I share the sentiment of um, being very surprised as well. I mean, I, I've seen her stuff. I see how she talks. I'm like, wow. And then when I saw some of the stuff that she was doing with Trump and with Sean, it was also shocking to me. So I'm not going to comment anymore on that. But I do hope that you know I trust that there are people in those circles who are doing maybe the the conversational work of like asking those questions because Kim was someone for me. I was like, I am just blindsided by this move. But Sean, however, I actually owe it to Sean for giving me the idea of the new evangelicals. He's actually the, the he's the person that inspired everything I'm doing because <clears throat> during the pandemic, I really was watching what Sean was doing with this let, let us worship maskless protests, protests, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I, I, re- I remember vividly, it had to be October of... Um, I don't know, whatever it was, maybe 20, was when the pandemic start, like uh, 2020. So it, it was right before when it kind of started picking up on, on steam. I was sitting home, uh, no work. I'm, I'm on my, my, I'm on my, my outside porch on my rocking chair and I'm watching a, um, um, a Let Us Worship gathering from Sean and I go, I can't take it. Between Trump, between this COVID hoax stuff that I'm seeing being passed around, I said, we just need a new evangelical movement. I go, New evangelicals, I'm like you know, Tim, that you you have a lot of ideas. Usually they're pretty crappy, but this name, this name might have something to it. And here we are, a year and a half later, you know, as a oh. nonprofit doing the work. And I have really, I have. You might, you might want to edit this part of the video out because he will, he'll try to get ten percent of. Uh... <laughs> well, I think what's what's frustrating to me is that I like you. Um, I saw what happened in 2016. Um, and I, the wording I have for it now is that it, 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 it was a wake up call that just because you share the same theological beliefs does not automatically mean that you share the same values. And I didn't realize that because I grew up in the evangelical space and I assumed, oh, we believe the same theological claims. Therefore, our values are going to be very similar. And I think 2016 was a moment where I went, uh, uh-uh, I guess these values that I thought we all shared are, are not the same. And the example I use often is that some of the same people who raised me as a child, who taught me mm. about how sexual purity is so important and how you know, know. sex is for marriage and pornography is evil and vile, are now telling me the same exact people are now saying, no, Tim, the guy on the cover of Playboy, Mar- um, a Playboy magazine and on his third marriage is a great Christian candidate yeah. that you should be voting for. And that was one of the moments where I said, okay, the values that I thought we were sharing are not here. And unfortunately, since then, it's only really exasperated and really gotten more divisive to the point where it seems like, and I I don't want to, it's so hard to escape this binary, but I'm just going to say it. It seems like there's been a really effective um, campaign that anything that isn't Trump is labeled far left, is labeled woke, is labeled progressive, when in reality, some of these things are not are not far left at all. I mean, at all. And I think that is what is so terrifying to me. Like you mentioned how in your circles, you know, these churches are either MAGA or like they're liberal lefties. I would guess that most of these liberal lefties are probably in the grand scheme of politics pretty moderate. You know, of course. but but to, but because of how far right and how far can um, Trump things have gotten to go moderate to those people is like, oh, you're you're like a far left communist at this point, kind of thing. Yeah. It drives me crazy. It, the there there, I would say, in my lifetime, there has never been 
um, a decade or even a five-year period where I felt like the church took so many self-destructive steps backwards. It's hmm. a good way to put um, it. I, I, it's self-destructive. It is exclusionary to the nth degree. It is, we, are, we are finding new ways to count people out. And yes. um, every, every, if you look back, every um, revolution in the church um, or reformation in the church, you know, the Martin Luther, all of these reformations over the years, they always uh, originated from the question of who's in and who's out. Right. That's what happened. So it was, it was color, it was creed, it was denomination, it was who's in and who's out. Yeah. And when the church will drop trying to figure out who's in and who's out, drop that, yeah. we would have a lot less conflict and we'd actually have a lot more impact. Yeah. I, I don't know, Tim, if the church in its current condition, especially in this country, is salvageable in a way that would actually... Um, you know, would be the church that Jesus always dreamed of type deal. Uh, I don't know if it's salvageable to become that. Uh, I'm not ready to personally give up on it, but I understand how many people, the, the numbers of people that have and why they would. Um, I yeah. absolutely understand it. I, I understand yeah. that people could be very well-meaning and go, this is never going to change. I am stubborn enough and stupid enough um, to just go, you know, if, if it's going down, um, I'm going to be screaming at the top of my lungs <laughs> until the water covers my head. Because yeah. I, I, I yeah. for me, and like I said, other people that don't take this, that's okay. I, I want to, whenever my life transitions from this, whether it's because I retire <laughs> or because I go on and do something different, but I want to say that I did everything I could to protect um, the vulnerable, the, the marginalized, the ones that have been discounted and kicked aside. And I honestly never thought I would see the day where the marginalized and the ones that were kicked aside. I mean, years ago, of course, it was, we were enslaving people in the name of God. You know, we were telling women they couldn't vote in the name of God. We were, you know, and, and then of course it's the LGBTQ community. I never thought I'd see the day where half of white America is not welcome in many of our churches yeah, because of what's on their voting card um, and who they voted for. I never thought I'd see that day where we are yeah. turning. And I'm not saying they've been marginalized or kicked aside like any of these other groups. I'm not comparing the two. But it's become so <laughs> um, exclusive that yeah. we used to be exclusive. And now most of those people that we were barely including in are no longer included in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I try to only cuss in private, but I'm tired of the shit. Um, I am. I'm over it. I, from the pulpit, I say exactly what I believe is true. I don't care how it affects it. Um, I, I can watch the offerings go up and down depending on how outspoken I was the week before, and I don't care. Yeah. People want to support it. Awesome. If they don't, awesome. Somebody, and you're doing it, Tim, somebody has to say, I'm going to say it the way it is, and wherever it settles, it settles, but I have to do this even if it costs me, you know? 
Shopping these days can be underwhelming, but at QVC, we believe those who love to shop deserve a living, breathing way to shop, where product descriptions are alive with demos by creators, chats with inventors, and hosts who know the most. From self-care and kitchenware to fashion trends and forever faves, at QVC, we bring life to products and products to life. Shop qvc.com podcast and use code QVC15podcast for $15 off $30 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Yeah, um... It's it's really I, I resonate with a lot of that, and uh, honestly, I day to day I'm kind of even back and forth myself. I mean, you know, when I started this account, this platform now, <coughs> that's a nonprofit now. I was serving in an evangelical um, assemblies of God church faithfully. I was the drummer. Um, I was all in. I volunteered many hours, donated a drum set, a tithe. I mean, I, I was in. You know, I had great relationships with people. Spent six years at that church, really doing my best to be as intentional as possible. We'll get coffee with the senior pastor. You know, maybe every other month, just trying to keep up keep up the relationship. And so that was my heart going in. I was like, hey, you know, maybe we can rethink some of this stuff and reform it. And then, you know, my church eventually said, hey, you either, either have to stop leading worship with us or stop what you're doing online. I said, well, okay, I'm, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing online. It's it's too important. So I lost that. And and after that and after listening to just a story after story and, of course, reading about the Mark Driscoll's and how they're still platformed and the John MacArthur's and the Hillsong's, what, the way I frame it now is that I believe that that the church globally, and I'm talking about, you know, Protestant, mainline, Eastern, the whole nine, um, that ultimately will never cease to exist. The church is just the gathering of people who are followers of Jesus. However, the institutions that we map onto the church, how the church organizes, that will come and go, right? I mean, the white evangelical... You know, um, ism as we understand it is not an ancient tradition. Hillsong is not an ancient tradition. These systems that borrow from capitalism and borrow from you know um, cultural standards of of, of show and, and and event, they can come and go. And I'm very convinced that at this point, the church is the hope of the world. But these institutions are absolutely killing the church. They are absolutely in 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 so many ways. And for me, for example, even if let's just use Hillsong for an example, because I know you talked about this from the pulpit. Let's say Hillsong was not harmful in the way of the abuse it's been covering up, Brian Houston being you know who he is. Let's say none of that happened. I would still find Hillsong problematic because the theology that 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 they that they teach, meaning how they teach Christians to be Christians, you show up on Sunday morning, you really are a spectator, you tithe, you go home. That is not good theology. Like that is shitty theology that creates spectators. It, it creates a sugar rush mentality. And so even if if there wasn't the abuse, I would still have major problems with how the current evangelical institutions, as we see them, how they center event over community, how they center a spectator sport over you know active involvement in their local communities. And so I think that as a whole, 
I'm of the persuasion that these institutions have to be dismantled and we have to think of better ways forward because what's currently happening in, in our society as we're seeing more and more, um, it, it's harming people while preserving the privilege of a select few, usually white men is ultimately usually how it manifests, not always, but usually. And I, I think like you said, I'm just, I'm tired of it. We have to think of better ways forward as Jesus people. It, yeah, we do. And the problem is, is like, I see you online where you'll say, you know, like, and you're so kind about it, but you're like, hey guys, here's what my, my monthly amount is that I need in order to run what I'm doing, right? And we're two thirds there, we're three quarters there, and we need people to join with us. And the problem is, is that, you know, I'm not putting me and you in the same category because I, I, I think what you're doing is, is so great, man. So, but the, the issue is, is that the people that are attracted to what we're saying and want to kind of join whatever we're trying to do or just getting some, maybe some healing or maybe some just affirmation for some of the decisions they've made or whatever it is, um, they are, they've been burned by the idea of, let me give you my money. Totally. Right? So they, they oftentimes were the, the drummer in the Assemblies of God, church, tithing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera meeting with the pastor every two months. And that's just to let you know I was listening to you. And, um, <laughs> and I'm working on my listening skills. No, and, um, and, and so the, I, I tell people, like, if you, you've got to support these voices, and this isn't an appeal for you or me, but you've got to support these voices because uh, otherwise these institutions will just get more and more and more powerful. And the only way to tear them down is if, there are people that have the ability to gather together people who go, we're not going to do this anymore. We have to stand, we have to stand up to this and, and, and are, are willing to support them because at the end of the day, the arrows, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe we can do another one sometime, but I don't know all of the, the pain and the stuff that you've had to dodge or you've gotten hit square on with. But um, being asked to leave your church, I'm sure, was a big one. And I'm sure the fallout of friends has been monumental. I know I've lost almost every friend I've had in ministry yep. um, that barely, barely reach out to me. Yep. Um, um, if I text them, they, they'll text me back. But it's very clear. I don't want a relationship. Um, the last I heard from Bill Johnson was through another person who he told the other person who who who's worked with him for years and was one of his right-hand men, um, please sit down with your friend Dan and straighten him out because I understand that he's there in Sarasota and um, he's embracing and hiring gay people and basically you've got to set him straight and, wow. and essentially putting pressure on this person that if you're going to have a professional relationship with this pastor in Sarasota, you need to set him straight. And that's the last I've heard from Bill Johnson. Now, all of these people I love and I admire for different reasons, but what in the heck has happened? Right. I mean, 10 years ago, I'd listened to Bill, and it, it, it was peaceful. It was non-political. It was him just making people feel and believe like God loved them enough to meet them where they were at and to take care of their needs, and it was so gentle and peaceful. And now that whole crew has gone head first into the political stuff where it's not, it used to be subtle. Now it's overt. And, and then of course, Sean being at the top of the spectrum, which he'd probably find as a compliment. Right. Sean, I, I love you if you're listening, but mm. um, it's top of the spectrum here. And, and I'm like, what 
is going, what is happening? Like, right. then I go, was this there all along? And I was a part of the machine and didn't realize it. But I'm like, what is going on? So then you start asking questions. And Tim, it's not even what you say or what I say. It's just simply the question, which is not a statement. The questions alone will get you excommunicated so fast. You know, it's funny because if you look at the New Testament, Jesus asked like, I don't know, like 184 questions. (laughs) And he only answered, I think, like six. Hmm. Most Hmm. of the questions people asked him, he asked them a question back. He was not about finite answers. He was about making people actually think. Yeah. And he embraced the idea of philosophy. He was the ultimate rabbi. If you've ever been with a group of rabbis and their students, all they do is ask questions. Right. The rabbi doesn't give them answers. Right. Like, so the idea that one group of people has arrived at the ultimate conclusions yeah. and then settled on that, and anyone who questions it is a far left this or a reprobate or a you know compromising or whatever the stupid terms we use, right. it to me is like, if we don't do to Paul what Paul did to Moses, then we're doing what Paul wrote in Injustice. Right. Like, what Paul did to Moses' writing would be considered heresy, right. or Moses' thoughts That's and exactly ideas. Right. And, and we have to do this, we have to be true and faithful to what Paul wrote, which unfortunately a lot of Paul's words are the ones that are being used today to kick people out and, 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 and send people to hell. Um, <laughs> you know, um, hell. Right. <laughs> we'll do that another time. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like we can't do this. We 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 have to leave the forum open for people to question and to actually celebrate the idea of question. So every Sunday, that's my hope is that I will leave people with more questions than answers. Yeah. Um Okay, I, I, I actually have a few questions for you that, that I want to get into, yeah. but first let me just say one thing about, about what you just said. I think one of the reasons why it's so infuriating, more than ever maybe for me, to hear the Bill Johnsons or the Sean Foyts of the world say how they're standing on truth is that they both embrace the election fraud myth, like, well. I mean, you know, Bill Johnson, I have his I have him on video saying that he believes that the election was 100% stolen by Biden. And then I know Sean Foyt was recently at, at the screening of uh, Dinesh D'Souza's garbage documentary called 2000 Mules uh, with Trump. And so uh, it's so hard to take even their claims of knowing truth seriously when they so clearly embrace things that are blatantly not true. And I think that is part of what drives so many of us to be so frustrated and aggravated. I don't believe that they believe it. Hmm. Now, it doesn't matter, but you have to remember at the beginning, before Trump even got into office, when he was, when he was campaigning, <coughs> yeah. he gave these groups of people who had never really been validated by yes. that kind of political power before validation. You're right. You're right. So you, you waltz Paula White in, yes. right? Yes. And, and, and that whole tr- crew, and then you let all these pastors come in and take pictures, laying hands on you and praying. And Trump is like dumb as a fox. He, he realized that these, he realized, he probably realized like himself that, that 90%, and I'm being nice, of pastors, especially male ones out there, are inherently extremely insecure hmm. and also have narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. And, um, and I'm one of them. Like, I, I have narcissistic tendencies. It's something I face every day. Hmm. I, I, went, I went to an entire eight-day, uh, uh, like, 
a therapy thing in, in Marble, um, Colorado with an amazing um, husband and wife who are doctors who specifically deal with pastors when I was going through my separation and divorce. And that was one of the things I'm like, am I a narcissist? Because I, mm. I feels like everybody I know in ministry is, mm. you know, and grew up around some. And they said, no, you know, they put me through all these tests. They said, no, but you have narcissistic tendencies, but that's a far cry from being a narcissist. So mm. it's something you need to pay attention to. Mm. So I'm like, what am I looking for? You know, making everything about myself and, you know, perpetually gaslighting and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, but I'm like, I'm like, I think Trump knows that. And he was like, if I can make these people think, you know, because traditionally it was like the Charles Stanley of the world, the Billy Grahams of the world, the, the people that had a certain amount of, but so that you start waltzing in these charismatic guys who've yeah. always been kind of fringe. Totally. Um, now their worship teams had become mainstream, right. but they right. hadn't become mainstream right. as much. Right. And saying, hey, you, you want to get a picture in the Oval Office, it's like, boom, all of a sudden, you know, you, they, they're hooked. And I think they had to believe it yeah. because when you got people prophesying left and right, including Chris Valentin, who then went yes. on to apologize yes. and then recounted his or recanted his apo <laughs> I apology. I mean, Chris is Jesus. Bill's right hand man. Let's be yeah. real. I hate to name names here, but let's be real. How does Bill not support it? You'd have to confront Chris, who's now recanted his apology for prophesying. I mean, it's a whole tangled web and mess yeah. where unfortunately ego money and power are are being affronted you know and 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 people are afraid to lose that and so they have to they would take a huge flow to their egos yeah. to be able to say i messed up and then not recant it later like yeah. Yeah. And when I went through my um, little, uh, not little, but went through separation and divorce, I, I took a six-month sabbatical, and, and my board of my church put me through, like, the ringer, okay? And, now, and they, they felt like they were doing the best thing at the time, and some of the stuff was good, and some of it was like, give me a break kind of deal. Mm. But I went through six months of sabbatical of all of these things they put me through, and you want to talk about being humbled and be made to be face to face with, with admitting that you, you know, you don't have your life together. Mm. I mean, and the, the humbling part of that and the crushing of that alone and realizing how bad it hurt. I realized most people in these positions are walking around with egos that have barely been touched yeah. because I felt like I was dying to have <laughs> person after person tell me, you know, you're, you're a mess and you need to get your, your act together. I mean, yeah because of what was, you know, this whole separation and divorce thing. So I, I, I get it. I understand it's hard to maintain being a normal guy when every week you have, you know, hundreds of, or if not thousands of people saying what a wonderful person you are and how they hang on your every word. It's right. hard to keep yourself honest. But they have become drunk um, on the idea that I maybe could have more influence and Trump was filling their glass. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. So, okay. We have about 15 minutes left and I, I yeah. want to get into this. It could be a can of worms, but I, it's so important to me. I wanted to ask you, you made a couple comments about how, you know, um, how these churches became political. That was kind of the problem. I've been wrestling with this idea because, you know, I am of the persuasion and I also, let me give you permission that you can push back on everything I'm going to say. You don't have to agree with me. So please just be honest about your thoughts. That, that's what I want to hear. 
But I'm of the persuasion now where the issue for me is not that Christians are political. It's how they're political. And, and my, my biggest beef with Christian nationalism is that ultimately it advocates for itself at the expense of everyone else. That's what it's designed to do. And I think where I'm at is that I see the Christian tradition, really the scriptures, as inherently political in the sense of it, it speaks to how societies form, how people organize, how they function, how dynamics play a role. So my issue isn't so much that, oh, the church is, is too political. It's just that they're political in some of the worst ways. What are your thoughts on that? Is, is, is it for you where it's like, no, churches just stay out of politics in general and just have the individual vote? Or is it more of kind of what I'm saying where it's like, yeah, churches have an obligation to advocate for their neighbor and, and how some of these churches are doing it is really for themselves at the expense of their neighbor. Well, I mean, so I totally agree with you that I have no problem with churches. Um, the problem is this. The problem is not whether or not they're making political statements. The problem is um, caring for your neighbor, um, embracing the immigrant, yeah. you know, feeding the poor, housing the homeless, taking care of um, moms um, who, who have nowhere to go. All of the stuff that we talk about, loving your neighbor, even if they're Muslim or gay or whatever, um, all of that should not be a political statement. Hmm. The fact that I would get up there and say, we're going to embrace the LGBTQ community, and you think that's a political statement, not you, but people right, out there, right, right. is the problem. The hmm. problem is, is that none of this should be political. It is a matter of humanity, hmm. which means it is inherently, it is inherently the heart of God and we have made it political, um, or, it's, or it's been made political way before us, and we, have, we really need to detach all of that away from the politicians uh, and, and really begin to own it as the church, but it requires getting our hands dirty. Hmm. The, the, the short of it, without going into it all, is our nonprofit that is the church, 80% yep. of our budget is actually has nothing to do with the church. Yes. 80% of our budget goes to um, a whole nother thing uh, called Harvest House, which it has three programs. Mm. One is for people who have, they're all uh, residential. One is for uh, called the Freedom Program for people who um, have a history of incarceration um, mm. or substance abuse. One is for homeless families with children. And one is for unaccompanied youth ages 18 to 24 who age out of the foster care system, many of them and have nowhere to go. And many of them, about 40% of them, are, are actually identify LGBTQ, who are kicked out of their foster homes because they're gay. Wow. Um, and so we have a residential program that has case managers. So about 80% of our budget, over $2 million a year, our nonprofit, goes into this thing called Harvest House. It is the reason why we're able to build in the middle of everything going on with the church, because Harvest House will be using the entire facility Monday through Saturday, I love um, because of what they're doing. That has blown up and grown so huge. And we made a shift years ago. Where we realized, you know, who cares how many people end up coming to church on a Sunday morning? It's what are we doing to all of these things that we would consider our duty as fellow humans? Yeah. Um, and it never was political for us, but inherently, right? because we're housing an LGBTQ a gay guy, boy 
who got kicked out at 18 years old from his traditional Christian foster care home and has nowhere to go in the streets of Sarasota, and we want to give him a bed and help get him, or you know, his own little apartment, and get him back in school or get him in nursing school or whatever, get him, uh, help him get a job and have a case manager working with him, we're liberals. Right. What? Right. Because right. growing up, that, that was called just being Christian. <laughs> right. Loving your neighbor. So how did this happen? Hmm. You know, and that is, that for me is the most, that is the hijacking that has gone on. Yeah. Christianity yeah. has been hijacked hmm. by something that was never called the Republican Party growing up. Hmm. Some new thing. You can, you can label it under Trump or not. I don't, I don't really care. But this very far right nationalistic thing has hijacked Christianity. And I... I'm going, no, because if we return to the roots of what we're supposed to be, this wouldn't be going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. that for me, so I, I know that's a long answer to no, your question, good. but that's, I, that's how I feel about it. This shouldn't be a political issue. Yeah. I think that's really, really well put. I love that you're building a building that will be used Monday through Monday uh, because yeah. uh, a, a huge gripe I have is why are we building these multi-million dollar buildings to be open for five hours a week. I mean, what a waste yeah. of money. And I love that you, you're planning on doing that. So one last question I had is that a common uh, maybe stereotype or caricature I hear from people in, in conservative evangelical spaces, you know, like the illicit children of the world, people like that yeah. who make a good living really talking about how progressive Christianity isn't Christianity, how it's ruining America, yada, 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 is that, you know, once you become progressive, meaning once you become queer affirming or or you want to feed the hungry, whatever it is, you know, then you're, you're, you usually lose your orthodox beliefs. Like, you know, the resurrection goes out the window, uh, the Nicene Creed, the virgin birth goes out the window. So, so I have to ask, you know, as far as you on a theological level, are you pretty much in, in that way pretty standard Christian, or have you lost all of those beliefs now, and you're just, you know, some agnostic deep down uh, who just pretends to be a pastor? No, I've, I, I still embrace all of the traditional, um, you know, the kind of theological tenets. There are a couple of them that I'm really obviously struggling and wrestling with um, sure. that um, I'm working my way through. But, I mean, Sunday morning, if you come Easter Sunday morning— I'm preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, now, I'm taking a different approach and take on it, usually, because I'm trying to extract something that's a little bit different and leave people with more questions than answers every sure. week. Um, sure. But absolutely go there from a traditional standpoint. Um, I think the problem is, is that most people don't become agnostic deep down. They're told they're agnostic deep down by the illicit children of the world because the illicit children of the world and people like her really hate questions. So, I mean, why can't you stand up in a traditional church and say, hey, guys, is hell real? And everybody will lose their mind. Right. Why? Right. Why do we want something like hell? Why are we so obsessed with hell being real? Why would we celebrate and get so excited at the idea that traditionally 80% of the world is going to burn and rot in eternity? Right. Why, why do we protect that? Right. Shouldn't we be like really, really excited about the opportunity to challenge something like that? Right. I'm not saying that we arrive at the conclusion of whatever, but like, right, right. Why would we? Certain things we protect as Christians. I'm like, do you understand? You are like protecting with your life eternal torment. <laughs> right. right. Why? 
Right. And not not to mention that historically there are various ways of looking at what hell could or could not be. There's Absolutely. obviously the annihilationist view, there's universal reconciliation, and there's ECT, eternal conscious torment. All have been held throughout church history. So to hold one of those views is not to be a heretic. <laughs> so, so I'm okay with, and of course you talk a lot about deconstructing. I'm like, the idea of deconstructing is like, you know, you own a motorcycle, you take its parts you take it apart in certain areas and clean it up and look right. at it and make sure there's nothing broken and put it back together. Like, right. why are we so afraid to take the parts apart? Right, right. Like, I mean, it's okay. We can put it back together. It's not like it can't go back together. Right. Um, so right. why are we so afraid to, well, I think people are afraid because they know that they're not sure about some things, but in whatever space <coughs> they're in or whatever group of people they run with, it's so frowned upon to ask questions that they're almost internally jealous at the people that are in a space or around a group of people that are okay with them asking questions. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like it's like that pastor at the funeral who said to me, I wish I could. And it's like you can. It's just right. you can. You can do it. And I think that they wish they could I think that they feel like it's like you have to go, I believe everything, because I have to, because I've given the last 30 years of my life to it. And this would all be a waste if everything I've given my life to, some of it isn't real or right. Right. And I've also, I think that what's helped me is realizing that I can hold beliefs without having to fight tooth and nail to say that they're objectively true. You know, like for, I think, for example, the virgin birth, you know, I've read some good evidence that maybe the word virgin isn't how we think about it now, et cetera. Right. But, you know, the idea of, of, of the incarnation and the virgin birth, you know, I talked to uh, Trip Fuller. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Trip. And I asked him that question. I said, so Trip, did, uh, he's a big, he's a theologian. And I said, so did the virgin birth really happen? And he goes, if, if you believing the virgin birth helps you get closer to the divine, keep believing it. And I was like, Wow, I that, that that just kind of freed me from this idea of like, but is it objectively, you know, historically a thousand percent true, or is it totally false? So kind of escaping that binary of of either this is objective, you know, scientific two plus two equals four truth, or it's just complete bogus and my life's a lie. Getting beyond that to say, well, this belief really helps how I live to live, you know, I think more genuinely to be a follower of Jesus, regardless of of, of if if I can prove if it's objective truth or not is not really the point of that belief that has helped me immensely to to be able to say i might hold that view but i might also understand how someone who is who is also a christian might not hold that view and we can still love people well together despite our belief difference on whatever topic that is i, I like to separate even on sunday mornings i'll separate i'll say like hey what i'm getting ready to say is like i'll say something to the effect of it was like it's just kind of a wild idea i have <laughs> and take it as such. But I think it's an interesting thought, and I want you to run with it, and I'm going to give you the evidence that I've found, and you make up your own mind. Yes. And then there's other things where I'll say, as solid as you can be about something, which is never completely 100% sure, right. I'm solid about this idea. Right. And I like to separate the two, because I want, I want people to go, like, he feels really strongly about this, versus he's just throwing this out there. He, he read a scripture, looked up some Greek words, and thought, what if? They actually meant this and, yeah. and wants us to get thinking. And I think there are some things that we hold on to dearly and go, yeah, this does comfort me. And there's enough evidence for me that goes, yeah, I think this is okay. But also, I'm not mortally offended at the idea that somebody would challenge it. Right. And that's what we've lost in our society is yes. I hold this dear and I feel like this is important to me. But if you don't buy it, that doesn't make you an other. Right. Right. That makes you just 
you're challenging something, and I can also intelligently come to the table and go, I can see there could be evidence that might suggest that there wasn't a virgin birth in your particular case. Right. Right. Exactly. And, 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 and if you have arrived at that conclusion, I'm okay with it. Exactly. And, and, and we've lost that. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't like to point fingers, but I really do feel like the more nationalistic right are a heck of a lot less likely to sit down and have in a conversation because I've tried. And the minute, you know, you start to begin to make a point, you're, you're gay, you're baby killer, you're this, you're that, you know, right. all these things. And it's like right. the minute those name, the names and the accusations come, you know, the conversation is done and nothing's going to be accomplished. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I would love to sit down with the illicit children of the world and have a real conversation. And we can talk about theories, <laughs> but then let's also talk about real people. Because it's hard to hate from up close. You know what's interesting? I've actually talked to Alyssa privately. We talked for almost two hours. And I I will say, out of all the people that I've engaged with in that circle, um, she is one of the most cordial and respectful ones. And we had a really good dialogue. I mean, we obviously see see things very different. But she was a very non-dehumanizing and very inquisitive person, which I can appreciate. Like, again, I can work with people who are interested in good faith dialogue, even if we don't see things eye to eye. They're on the podcast. They're on our lives. So. But one of the things, one of the things for me that kind of went, got a lot of like people looking at it because I never do that. That TikTok video you saw was our, one of our worship leaders, KK Esther, who filmed it and then put some titles over top of it and threw it up. And the next day she texted me. She's like, "Hey, all these people keep commenting on your thing." I'm like, "What thing?" Like I just, I need to do a better job of that. But anyways, um, and my background's like in film and media, which is ridiculous. But and I do it for other people. But. Um, I did a, our local radio station, which is the largest other than um, K-Love or whatever it is up on Northeast. Okay. That's us, the, yeah. uh, the RTN network, that's most of the Southeast. Um, their main headquarters, the Joy FM, is here in Sarasota. And I kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, took them on, the morning show host, because of their defense and embracing an affirmation of John Cooper's. Oh, jeez. Now, this is a, this is a multi-denominational supported, I mean, there are Catholics supporting, there are Baptists and even, you know, everyone in between. And they went on a full rant about John Cooper and what he was saying and how it rang true and how anti-deconstruction they were. And it was so off base being somebody who's been around a lot of people who are deconstructing. It was like, have you guys actually even talked to one of these people? Jeez you know, Louise. it's like talking about the, uh, you know, the, the behemoth in the woods or something. It's like, so, so I took clips of what they said and took clips of John Cooper and I would play them in context and then I would talk about it and then I'd play it in context. And so now the joke is that um, one of the people over there, one of the uh, people that go to my church works there and uh, she said to me the other day, she was walking out and uh, one of the other guys there goes, hey, where are you going? She's like, oh, I'm heading to Harvest. I'm, I'm leading worship tonight for this thing. And the guy says to her, oh, Harvest. He goes, she goes, yeah. She goes, tell Pastor Dan I said hi. Um, he knows me. And uh, he said, we're good. Tell him I'm not part of the morning show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, like in these, these it's like, but I thought, I don't know what, why I did it other than I was like, this, this is like the loudest voice in the Christian community is this morning show in our region. I mean, they have like a million listeners, like, wow. like, like 
um, network wide. Wow. And I'm like, and nobody is going, wait a freaking second. Like they're mocking people who are like in the throes of, of, of questioning and laboring and groaning about their faith and church abuse and this kind of stuff. And they're mocking it or, or even worse, sending these people to the brink of hell. I'm like, right. uh-uh. Hell right. no. Right. Right. I'm going to say something about it. John Cooper, um, I've reached out to him in every way possible. Email, audio message, the whole night. He has not returned. And I've tried to talk to him. But honestly, I think what frustrates me the most about, in particular, John, is that his takes aren't even they're just not good. Like there, there's not a lot of substance. It's a lot of dogma and like there's nothing underneath of it. And it just, it's very frustrating because like you said, I, people will be like, well, John's only one person. I'm like, no, you don't get it. John is supported by a network, a web of, of of evangelical institutions that are going to play his clip and say, yes. I mean, John was at winter jam saying this, right? Imagine, imagine if you were at winter jam and you said, Hey, we should be clearing queer inclusive. You'd be kicked off that tour in like literally 30 seconds. They would escort you off the stage and say, don't come back. But John Cooper can, can make these incredibly dishonest. And I would argue in some ways dehumanizing claims about people who are deconstructing how deconstructing Christians aren't real and how they're not not really Christians, and it's 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 to a round of applause, and I think that that every time we share that or we respond to it, for a lot of people who were in these spaces, it just reinforces why they can't go back, why they can't go back. Which honestly is why people like you give me some hope, um, because <laughs> because you're in this world, and and you know I often say on Saturday night when, when we sign off for the weekend that. If you're in an evangelical space and you're serving, do it well, even if you're wrestling with all of this, because we need people on the inside changing things. Now, I think in a lot of ways it's almost harder on the inside because you have to really pick your battles or else you're going to get kicked out. But we need people on the inside and outside pushing things in a different direction other than where, where Christian nationalism is currently just really you know, whipping people up uh, and, and pushing us into territory that I think ultimately is going to lead to a lot more human suffering, uh, not more human flourishing. So I appreciate you making time, you know, and being a part of the podcast and, and taking time out of your day. It really means a lot. Absolutely. Uh, man, please keep doing what you're doing. Uh, like, please, because what you're saying and doing, and even some of the lighthearted stuff, like your, uh, I just saw one of your, um, the the outlandish sermon thing or whatever like sermon oh, with that that, that lady awkward, singing awkward sermon oh my god <laughs> like I hate to say this but like over the last thirty years that crap has happened like right in front of my eyes so I have if you want to do a show sometime we could do about thirty minutes of me just telling you stories great that would literally smoke your mind you would literally be like that's not true and I'm like I am telling you. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is true. I watched somebody take a microphone and use it as a Holy Ghost like pistol where they're shooting people under the power of God. You know, oh, dude, I have seen some things. I watched somebody, no names mentioned, but off air, I'll tell you. I watched somebody take somebody's braid who was on the ground and start whipping it like this, this long braid. And they were like falling down under the power of God. And then I saw this. I was sitting next to the guy that was doing it, who was one of the guest speakers. And I watched one of the guys in front of me who kept getting zapped by the Holy Spirit, like, whoa, and freaking out, right? And then 
he stopped tapping him and he looks at me like, now you tap him. So I started tapping him. He started freaking out the whole deal. I was like, oh my God, my foot is, I've got some power in this right foot, right? And then all of a sudden he looked back and realized it was me and he stopped responding. <laughs> Dude, I have seen it all. Wow. Well, I think we'll, maybe we'll, we'll have to do an Instagram live of like a cringy church stories with, with oh Dan Meyer. I think that God. might be a lot of fun. Where can people ones. find you? Are, are, are you on social media as like a more public figure? You know, can people keep people follow yeah, you somewhere? You're they're, on TikTok? All, they're, all, they're all, none of them are public figure pages. They're all uh, just normal pages. I'm, I'm on TikTok. It's just Rev. REV Dan Miner. Okay. Um, but I'm on Instagram uh, too, is Dan Miner. And then, um, of course, Facebook. Um, I do more Instagram than anything, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm vowing to do uh, a little bit more <laughs> TikTok. But it's just Dan C, my middle initial minor for M I N O R for Instagram. So, yeah. Great. Well, Dan, again, I appreciate you making time. I'm sure we'll talk again. And thanks for all your great work. Keep it up. Tim, you're great, man. <laughs>